What's up, watch fam? Welcome to episode 13 of Rico's Watches podcast. I'm here today with Luigi from Ciccio Vintage. Luigi is a uh, watchmaker specializing in vintage chronographs based in the Toronto area. Um, Luigi, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, I've been really enjoying your, your podcasts. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, before we came online, you know, walking my dogs and just listening to all the different people that you have on. I, I, I love like the, the, the width and breadth of, uh, of, of the number of uh, people that, that you're speaking to and the types of collections. It's, it's great. I, I love it. It's, it's, it's so varied and I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much yeah. for your kind words, man. We're all about the love yeah. of the watch fam here in the community. Yeah. And we want to bring as many people from as many different walks of life into the show right and yeah. you specifically you're our first watchmaker um which i think is really cool because i want to give the audience some insight into sort of the more technical aspects of what goes into these things that we love so much and yeah. i think you have a ton of insight and knowledge on that that people will find absolutely refreshing and captivating to listen to so yeah with that all being said like what's on the wrist today we'll start with that uh, and then we'll go sure. into it yeah, so uh, today I am wearing it is a it's a Bulova wrist alarm, mm -hmm. and uh, here I'll take it off and hold it up to the camera so you can hear, see it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So this is a wrist alarm watch. So it's a, like what it does is in the name of the type of watch that it is. Uh, it actually has an alarm hand that uh, that you can set, and this uh, used to be my grandfather's watch. Um, he immigrated to Canada in the mid '60s, and he was in Canada for about ten years, and uh, this was his retirement gift before he moved back to Italy. And uh, when he passed away, he, this was bequeathed to me um, in his will. And uh, it's been one of my most treasured items in my life. Uh, and it's also where my, uh, my handle comes from, Ciccio, which is uh, my nonno Francesco is the nickname was Ciccio or nonno Ciccio. And um, Originally, when I first uh, got into reading about watches and joining the watch forums, my, my first username was Chicho under slash started it. So basically, my grandfather and my nonno Chicho started it. He got me mm -hmm. into this sickness. And, uh, and it basically started with get, getting this watch and uh, it needing work and trying to figure out who I could take it to. Because, I mean, the complication, I, I, I think, I think your viewers will get a kick out of seeing how this, how this thing actually works. So basically, it's got a really cool steel blued uh, serpentine hand Beautiful. that is basically the alarm hand. So uh, it's got two crowns. This, this, the bottom crown uh, is to wind. It's a hand wound movement and to you pull the crown out, you can set the time. But the upper crown is to wind the ringer and also to set the time of the alarm hand. So basically, uh, the alarm hand kind of works like a GMT hand. So you, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, for example, you know, you want your alarm to go off, uh, let's say, you know, at 4.05 or, you know, 4.30, you try to like, try to get that, that alarm hand somewhere close to that area. And then you wind it. Uh, and as you, uh, as you wind, you, uh, just again, like a regular hand round, you, you get to the end. Uh, and you leave the crown out that keeps the alarm basically activated. Mm. Once I'll just advance the time on my watch to get it so you can actually hear it go off. Once you reach that time, uh, and of course I didn't do it right. Once basically, once you reach the time, oh, I have to, you have to wind it with the crown in. Sorry, my mistake. It will give you. 
Hey. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, yeah, okay. There we go. And so is that like so, a that's like a tiny little hammer inside of it's, the movement? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it, yeah, it's a tiny little hammer that that's going off. Hmm. And uh so my my grandfather uh, after he he moved back to Italy um he would come and visit every so often and so when he'd come and visit with with my grandmother they would uh my my one of my sisters would have to bunk with my other sister and so I'd, they would sleep in the bedroom directly across from me in the hallway so one of my childhood memories is you know hearing this buzzing sound uh in the morning so it's mm. uh it's it's it, it really evokes nice memories of my childhood and and great memories of my grandfather who i obviously adored greatly that's incredible yeah. and, and yeah. such a beautiful piece for you yeah. to then carry on to the next generation and then yeah. have the skill set to maintain it and repair it and and keep it going for then the next generation after yeah. yourself, right? Yeah. That's uh it's really cool to hear the memories that are associated with these pieces, right? And I, I touched on that before in other episodes, but I think that, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but the what makes these pieces so special isn't just that they're a piece of metal that tells the time it's it's the yeah. people they're associated to the memories associated with them and and i think that really adds to the value of the piece right i mean for you that piece is absolutely priceless right yeah, and absolutely that's, and that's incredible yeah. so with with an alarm piece like that yes uh, you were saying you leave the crown out and then that keeps the that keeps the alarm function going right does that exactly. compromise does that compromise um like water resistance at all well the i mean i mean the, with vintage watch watches generally speaking i mean like water resistance is out the window at least yeah. for me i don't think about water resistance but the idea behind um the alarm watch is that i mean you wouldn't have your alarm activated if you were outside doing things the idea would be that you're you're winding the alarm uh before you go to bed oh. so like this this is not a watch you're going to be it's not going to be going off uh, while it's, it's the crown is out and it could probably very easily be pushed back in if you're walking around or doing things mm -hmm. uh the idea is more that uh, this is probably what that the designers envision something that you're going to bed you set the alarm you put it on the on the end table next to you and then it it it, it goes off uh not on your wrist but mm. uh you know on, yeah next to you basically right interesting okay so yeah. I, like, I always thought that they were yeah. designed as like something like a businessman would wear during his day or someone who would wear like to time their dinner or something like that right so it's kind of yeah. interesting the thought that it's more meant to be like something that a function that you would use while you're not wearing the watch that's uh it's, it's very that's 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 my understanding like uh, now you could be right i mean i i didn't i didn't really think of uh of that as well like but yeah i guess i i you know with with the um, you know, because it doesn't give you um, uh, a specific, you know, like if, if I need to be somewhere at, you know, one fifteen exactly. I mean, you're you're mm -hmm. not really getting it one fifteen because you're 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 basically putting that alarm hand somewhere between the one hour and two hour right. whatever time marker. Um, that's why I kind of pictured it as something more of a of a wake up thing. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I can I can sure that sure I can I can see that being something that. Uh, mm -hmm somebody during the course of the day would say, okay, I need a four o'clock reminder to make a phone call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. they don't make and they don't really make like there's not a lot of brands that are making any sort of wrist alarm anymore right i think volcano volcano is still continuing to make them their version of the cricket right yeah. and then there's um i think tudor had one that they put out as well too tudor had a really beautiful alarm wrist watch, advisor yeah. the advisor yes. I think yeah. it was yeah yeah, yeah. So that was a really cool one as well and, and more yeah. and more like the most affordable wrist alarms you could purchase as well on the market yeah 
it's a it's a unique feature for sure when you yeah. don't see very often so that's yeah a, that's a very and i cool think the, the volcano is definitely like i think when most people think of alarm wrist watches they that's mm -hmm. the cricket is is probably the most iconic one mm -hmm. that uh people will automatically think of when they think of uh, alarm watches for sure and was Volcane yeah. the ones who invented the wrist alarm or are they just the ones who kind of ran with it the most i'm not sure i'm not i'm not sure about that yeah fair enough yeah, i don't know cool. yeah okay well not that uh, deep into the history of it no yeah. fair enough that's yeah. super that's a very unique and beautiful piece it's yeah really, thank you really something cool thank you thank i'm you. wearing my uh speedy pro my 1861 nice. on the forstner flat link nice. so i know you have a very special Speedmaster in your collection I do. that we will touch on after because okay. your Speedmaster blows mine out of the water <laughs> and i am super jealous that you have it but it's an incredible piece and you have some really cool stories behind that piece as well too so something i, I definitely want to yeah. get into later on into the show yeah for sure so with uh, you and I got into contact through Instagram, right? Yes. You, re you reached out to me because you had heard the show and we, we started hitting it off, realizing we're both in Canada. You know, we just, we had a good chat and uh, I wanted to have you on the show, absolutely, to share some of your knowledge. But on Instagram, your uh, Instagram page is called Chichio Vintage, correct? Yes. So what got you to start that page? What kind of got you, I know like the, the wrist alarm from your grandfather got you into the hobby. What got you to transition into watchmaking? Okay. So, I mean, before we go on calling me a watchmaker, like I, I do want to clarify, I'm, I'm a watchmaker in the, you know, amateur sense, you know, like mm. I am, I am a lover of watches. Uh, there is a local watchsmith in Toronto that, uh, that has been tutoring me. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I tip my hat to, uh, you know, the real professional watchmakers, uh, you know, who've, you know, who've done, you know, you know, Wostep and, you know, Rolex school and, and people who've, you know, put years of, of formal education in, in, into, into their watchmaking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've, I've, my watchmaking is, has been sort of geared towards working on the things that I'm interested in working on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because it's been sort of movement specific more so than general watches, um, you know, just, just a little point of clarifications where that's concerned and and so it started literally with me dropping a watch that i was admiring on the floor mm. um i'd uh, i'd bought like a you know uh like a, a panerai style homage piece and i you know i had it for a couple of days and i was kind of holding it in my hand and i was starting to get get into uh, mechanical movements and 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 the like and it dropped out of my hands cracked mm. the crystal hands fell off and so that sort of was like the first thing of thinking, okay, could I change the crystal myself? Could I put the hands back on myself? And from that, it sort of progressed into doing, you know, uh, more intricate type of work. Then I started thinking of, well, I really like these watches, but, you know, for example, I know in Watch You Seek, for example, if you had a watch that had uh, Marina Militare uh, branding on it, they, they were saying like, you, you know, we, we don't want to see that because that's, it's, it's uh, intellectual property owned by uh, uh, Panerai or Panerai's uh, larger uh, corporate group. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I started thinking about the idea of, you know, putting a different design on the dial, like not having something that was like a, a, a copy of something that was existing. So uh, I really got into the idea of um, creating like custom dials with, uh, with the old um, uh, Regia Marina, which is the precursor to Marina Militare, like the Royal Navy of Italy, yeah. uh, the Regia Marina with like the coat of arms. So I, you know, I came up with like a, a dial design with like the Regia Marina coat of arms on the dial. And so, um, Part of that was uh, 
you know, finding uh, different uh, Asian movements like 6497 based movements uh, and some of them would have like the running subseconds and I wanted to do some that didn't have the running subseconds. So then it was a question of learning how to snip the subsecond uh, uh, pivot so that I could just have like hour hand and minute hand. Uh, and so again, most of things that I, I've learned has, has been through misadventures. It's getting it wrong the first time and like, you know, screwing it up badly. And then yeah, that kind of led me to, to Shane, uh, who's a watchsmith in Toronto, who's really generous and intelligent and, uh, and uh, friendly guy. And so I brought him something that I had messed up. And I was like, I was trying to do this thing. And I guess he saw something in me, uh, seeing that, you know, I was brave enough to like, without any sort of experience, uh, starting to tinker with these movements. And so he would start, instead of just fixing the stuff for me, he would be like, come here, watch this. Let me, mm. let me show you how this works. Uh, and at the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, can you just fix it for me? I kind of I got to go, right? But uh, slowly, um, uh, as he was showing me things, I, I really started taking a, a, a keen interest in how, how these movements worked. And I, and I remember early on after meeting Shane, he was working on a, on a vintage chronograph movement. And I was asking him questions about it. And it looked so incredibly complex to me. And uh, he said to me, he turned to me at one point, he said, you know, one of these days, you'll be working on one of these movements. And I just started laughing. I was like, no, there's absolutely no way I would ever be courageous enough to even like hold a chronograph movement in my hands. Uh, but again, it always was a question of just thinking, you know, uh, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I could, you know, fix this up. I, I, I came across like this vintage chronograph that had uh, an ugly messed up dial, but the chronograph itself was, uh, was running nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I was able to find uh, a, the same dial, but in good condition. So again, it started with baby steps. So I was like, okay, maybe if I, if I can, I'll buy that uh, watch from this guy and he, he's got the same dial that's the exact same brand. I'll swap them out and see how that looks and doing that. And that was one step. And then slowly I, I just started taking on projects of, 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 uh, of deeper and deeper complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those... I'm buying more tools, right? Yes, yes. The tools. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I um I wanted to try my hand at getting into learning to do some of that too, so I assembled a uh, 992B pocket watch Hamilton myself. That was nice. uh, that was about as far into like amateur watch movements. Incredible movement, beautiful movements. I love yeah. I love the watch. I use it as a desk clock now with like a little wow. hanger that it kind of goes on. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It needs to keep better time, but you know, I mean whatever <laughs> yeah it, yeah. Cost, it cost me a couple hundred bucks to get all the parts together and put it together and it's a beautiful beautiful piece but when you start moving into what you're doing and it gets so much more complex you know then that leads you down the road now now specifically you have this fascination with uh landeron chronograph yes. movements correct yeah so tell me a little bit more about that so, so with the Landerons, again, like it, it's, it's funny because I have, uh, you know, my username is Chicho and that's after my grandfather, my nonno Francesco. Uh, but then my, my, my dad's dad, my nonno Luigi or Gino, um, uh, he's sort of like the other half of my, my, my watch interest coin because um, as I was sort of getting this slow interest in, in, in watches, uh, my, my dad was in Italy mm. and uh, up, up in, he had, they had planned to move back to Italy back in the 70s and they had built a house and, uh, and my, my grandparents lived on the main floor and we were all supposed to live on the third floor and it ended up not happening because, you know, my, my dad was doing well here in Canada and, and they decided to stay here. Uh, but 
all my my grandfather's personal effects and an old work desk were all all up in the attic of this house that, that we have in Italy. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of years ago, my dad was basically just going through the desk and just finding, going through his dad's personal effects. Um, and he found an old uh, Charles Nicolet uh, Landron chronograph mm-hmm. and he brought it home to Canada. Um, and so that he had somebody else restore. Uh, we sort of, you know, made some inquiries and uh, I mean, the, the dial was in really bad shape. So he actually sent it to a professional uh redial specialist and uh we sent it to, to get it serviced uh, with a watchmaker uh but that sort of piqued my interest because here i was this guy who's on watch you seek and you know on all these forums and reading about watches and and he's he presented me with this uh chronograph movement that i couldn't identify i'd never seen never heard of uh and so that sort of uh piqued my interest in, well, what, what is Landron and what's, what's the story with Landron? What are these movements? Well, what's their history? Uh, why don't more people know about them? Uh, and so that, that got me reading about the, the history of the Landron movements and the types of cases that were used. Uh, and one thing that I learned um, was a, a lot of these uh, Landron cases uh, or watches, I mean, there were a lot of different uh, Swiss brands that, that Basically, they would make, they would have, they'd get different hands and they'd, they'd buy the, the movement from Landron they'd, and they'd case them in either uh, like these base metal cases uh, or solid gold cases and mm-hmm. occasionally even uh, stainless steel cases. Mm-hmm. But uh, most importantly, the, the solid gold cases, uh, they haven't survived because what would end up happening is these movements, uh, you know, after a passage of time in use, I mean, they, they, they need to be serviced. Now they're chronographs and servicing a chronograph can be expensive. So I imagine what happened with a lot of them is people figured, okay, I got this old rackety watch that I bought in the fifties. Uh, it's served its purpose. It's not running anymore, but I know the case is solid gold. So a lot of people would take these movements out and basically sell the cases for the value of the gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, there's a number of uh, just orphaned land draw movements just floating out floating out around there in the, in the world uh, that have lovely dials uh, and you know that you know I, I feel like almost like a personal mission that they should be saved you know mm-hmm. and, and brought back into circulation mm-hmm. so I, I really got into the uh, idea of, of trying to either like find beat up models and and um, send the cases in for replating so basically so that the case looks brand new and, and getting the movements going again and then for ones where it was an orphan movement just trying to find like a case that i can work with it and 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 re uh repurposing uh, repurposing the watch into something else so with my own branding so uh, i came up with a couple of uh dial designs that i that i liked and mm-hmm. uh and started making these like custom chronographs mm-hmm. with my own uh, with my own branding I, I came up with the name renovo which uh which is the latin word for um to renew mm-hmm. uh so i thought the idea was like here we are we're, 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 we're taking these old movements and we're giving them a new life a new purpose mm-hmm. and so now yeah. you've kind of you've entered this like echelon or, or league of uh people that are upcycling these old watches as well yep. right obviously renovo uh vordic uh vdb over in germany does that as well too with some old movements yep. and things like that it's kind of neat to see this uh renaissance coming out now of 
blending the modern technologies or uh, kind of reusing some of these older pieces and older cases and older movements and then blending them in with new technologies, new names, creating a new brand from them, right? Yeah. So with the Renovo brand, um, you had some unique, uh, you had something that was kind of a unique aspect of your logo. What was that? So basically in the, I'll, I'll pull one out here. So sure. it's, it's hard, it's hard to pick it up on the camera, but here's like, here's one that I built and it's, it's with, uh, you know, a Landron 48 based movement. Mm -hmm. And I did like a, um, a big eye chronograph design. Mm -hmm. So like, it's got the two sub registers, but I just made like the, the minute counting sub register, like big white and dramatic, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it picks up, but it, you very faintly in the R of the Renovo, that's actually, there's a, uh, there's the recycling symbol in there. Mm. So it just said the, the arrow is pointing in the, in that direction. So like that, that, that was basically my nod to the idea of reusing and, 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 and uh, repurposing uh, old things that uh, still work fantastically mm. well. I mean, that's, that's one thing about these, these land draw movements uh, where the timekeeping function part of the movement is concerned. Um, like these guys are bomb, they're, they're bomb proof. I mean, like once, once uh, I've, I've, you know, disassembled them, put them through the ultrasonic cleaner and, uh, and dried them out and, uh, and sort of reassembled and oiled them properly. Uh, they run beautifully. And it mm. was, yeah, they're, 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 they're great movements. And are you pretty well versed in, I guess, like the history of Landeron is itself, like what, who start or how did Landeron start? What ended up happening to Landeron? Like they're not obviously around anymore, really. So what, what's kind of their story? Uh, I am not, I'm not sure who like the, the, you know, like it by, by name, who the actors were like in, 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 in the development of the Landron movement. I know that um, uh, they, they sort of filled out a niche of like the mass produced uh, chronograph market, uh, you know, earlier on, I, there, there are some early Landron movements that uh, were, were column wheel, which, which are a bit harder to, uh, to manufacture. Apparently it's a bit more of an involved process to, to, make a column wheel chronograph than it is a cam operated chronograph but Landron mm -hmm. basically uh they you know they they found an ingenious way to uh to mass produce a, a cam operated chronograph mm -hmm. uh that that was that was reliable that kept good time and and had a, a pretty uh um, pretty solid chrono chronograph uh, action to it and mm -hmm. one thing that's actually that sort of sets uh, the, the the Landeron chronographs apart as well is that uh, most chronographs usually the upper pusher will activate the chronograph uh, and then the upper pusher will stop the chronograph uh, and then the bottom pusher will will reset will re reset the chronograph whereas the uh, the Landerons I don't know if did I wind this guy yeah so like the Landerons the the top pusher activates but with this one uh, with the Landerons with the exception of a couple of different models and I can get into that uh, the bottom one stops it mm -hmm. and the bottom one resets so oh. it, it's 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 the other way around and and so uh, when you look at the interior construction of the movement and the way the hammers are set up, it, 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 it makes sense. And it's actually uh, a pretty robust way because I like, for example, with the value 7733s, uh, one of the things like where the, where the chrono action can, can fail is that, you know, the, the way the spring is set up, there's like a little spring that sort of activates it up to, to get it, to, to get it going. And then, that same spring has to land properly to stop it and start it again. So if that spring isn't working properly, it, it, it could, it could stop operating. Whereas with this, it's a bit more basic, hmm. but it's a bit more, it's, I find it a bit more, uh, uh, 
fail safe because it's just like there's a there's an arm that pushes it up and pushes it straight through and 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 resets everything properly okay and was yeah. landeron did they fall victim to the quartz crisis or were they bought out and purchased by a larger producer uh you know what it's i try to uh, research what exactly happened to Landron and 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 was it the quartz crisis? And there isn't, uh, at least uh, on the internet, uh, much um, much information about it. At least that I was able to find about exactly how it failed. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure if it was a question of competition. I'm not sure if it's a question of the quartz crisis because I mean, when we talk about quartz crisis, we're we're talking about sort of mid 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it seems like Landron was pretty much disappearing already by the early seventies. Okay. So I, I don't know if it's a question of, um, you know, just diminishing returns or just, uh, mm. competition or, you know, or even, uh, uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I don't really don't know. You know, you it's, see, it's, it's a mystery to me. Do you see any unique aspects of Landeron movements showing up in later chronograph movements? Not really. Okay. Not so. really, and that's and that's one thing that I've, I I I I would be fascinated to see. Like even for example, uh, the the way the uh, the the chrono mechanism, the way it's it starts, stops, and resets. Mm -hmm. uh, like for if, if for somebody to to replicate that, uh, because I mean I I, I really feel like that it, it's it's a foundation for a pretty for a pretty solid chronograph movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it'd be nice also. Like for example, I, I know one of the reasons why. Uh, you know the Valjoux movements, uh, especially like the, from the '60s, or uh, you know, they're they're people will consider them a bit easier to work on. Is is for example, you know, the Landrons are a bit more basic in terms of the way the 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 balance cock is set up. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of most modern watches now have what's called a micro micro regulating pin on it, right? So there's okay. there's a big regulator which sort of regulates the time, and then there's a micro regulating pin that you can you set the beat, okay. right? So you can try to try to eliminate the beat error. Um, the Landerons don't have that. So you can regulate the time, but to actually re regulate the beat, uh, it's it's a question of how the hairspring is actually installed onto the balance itself, mm -hmm. uh, on the balance stem. So it, it can be regulated, but you, literally you need to take the balance apart and sort of uh, regulate it right on uh, right on the on the balance staff itself. So it's it's it's. Um, it's I, I I joke with Shane about it. Like when I see him do it, I I feel like it's it's like watching somebody perform brain surgery because like mm -hmm. you're 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 working very close to the hairspring, which uh, which is the most um, delicate part of a watch. And you mess up a hairspring, you like your watch will not keep good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and trust me, I've I've got a lot of messed up hairsprings <laughs> to with, show for it. Yeah, with the. Uh with what you're talking about there adjusting the, the fine beat variation would that be something you do with like uh balanced screws or would that be that you would actually manipulate the hairspring in a specific way to yeah correct so that? that you you would have to on a landeron because there isn't a, an arm that 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 actually mm. turns the the hairspring on the balance staff uh you literally have to there's there's like a little divot inside uh the hairspring like above like where it's basically plugged into the the balance staff and so you would literally need to go in with 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 the tool and 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 just move it around but the problem mm. is when you're regulating a movement with a with a, a regulator like a timing regulator a regulating pin on it um 
in real time, like you can sort of move it around, watch on the time grapher and see like, you know, like what the beat error is uh, with the lander on, like you're doing that, but you're, you're kind of guesstimating, right? So like you're, you're, you're moving it, but then you got to put it back in the watch, get it, keep it running and then check and see what's, uh, you know, like how, how close you are. So it's a, it's a bit more involved in terms of the process, whereas a, a modern watch uh, to get it into beat, uh, is much easier because you're just you're just kind of working those pins. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the time period that Landeron was producing these movements uh, in ma in mass, um, they would have been competing with like Venus, Valju, Lamania. Um, were there any other big players that were up at Minerva probably at the time? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. There were, I mean, I, I, I wonder how much it was a question of, of, of competitiveness, at least, at least where, where like, you know, movements like Lamania and Minerva were concerned or Angelus, for example, they had a, they have a mm. beautiful column wheel chronograph movement. Um, uh, Zenith had, uh, they had that, they had some epic, uh, chronograph movements as well. Um, because I, I think from from my reading in terms of like uh, the time when they were being produced, they, they were they were basically going for a, a, um, a lower priced market. You know what I mean? So they were it was it was that cachet of, of getting getting a Swiss, a true Swiss uh, chronograph, but not paying the, the price that you would pay for, you know, the you know, the more renowned column wheel chronograph movements. OK, and yeah. So walk us through some of the unique architecture that you find in a Landeron movement and what makes them such a special chronograph movement? So apart from, apart from the, uh, the pushers, mm -hmm. um, uh, and like the way, like the whole chronograph, uh, system is set up. Uh, the other thing I like about it is that, um, you know, the, at least, at least where the, the timekeeping element of it and is concerned, like they're, they're, they're pretty basic movements. I mean, they're, they're easy to, they're easy to work on. Uh, and, and once you get them going, they're, 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 they're very sturdy. Um, especially when, when you get to the later versions with, uh, with, uh, with Inca block, uh, shock protection on mm. them. Uh, there's the, uh, in terms of like the family of, uh, of cam operated, uh, uh Landron chronographs, uh, there's only one specific reference or one family that I, I, um, I tend to avoid. And that's, uh, I was thinking I was mentioning like with, with the start of the top and the bottom start, stop and reset. Uh, the exception is, is that there were the, the hundred series of Landrons basically. So between like the Landron 48 and the Landron 248, which would have been the last iteration of, um, of their, um, of their chronograph, uh, there was, um, uh, they, they basically, I guess, to imitate the, the values, they, they sort of reconfigured the way the, the, the hammers were, were, were set up and, uh, to start and stop the way the a value would. So start at the, at the top, stop at the top and, and reset okay. from the bottom. Uh, but the system that they came up with um, is just uh, really not a good one. And so those, those particular movements, um, uh, I, I actually, I, I, like to, I like to pick them up because uh, I find that uh, there, there, there is some interchangeability in terms of like uh, the plates. So I, I can, so for example, there, there, there have been some, some watches where uh, it was a, a messed up Landron 48, for example, 
uh, and you know the hairspring is gone and uh, it's unsalvageable and I can get a, a, a nice Inca block lander on 148 and sort of transplant the 48 uh, chrono architecture on top of that mm-hmm. uh, and so just and so basically get an old lander on 48 uh, that used to have uh, the old style shock protection with an upgraded shock protection system and with the more robust uh, uh, chrono action going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So they kind of had some cross compatibility across their entire series of movements. Um, there, there was, there was, there was, uh, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, it's. There's, uh, there was cross compatibility uh, when it came to sort of like the the main plates of the watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once you got into uh, the actual function of the the chrono mechanism, uh, some I th- you know some parts could look identical but uh if if you're not using the proper uh parts from you know a 48 uh, in the chrono function of a 48 and and mis- maybe mislabeling a 47 which looks a lot like a 48 but it's not the same thing uh you can run into trouble and like have a, a chronograph that's not resetting properly and and that's and that's the thing like with a lot of the restorations i get like i you know i'll, I'll get it and and i'll you know i'll sort of realize to my chagrin that okay at some point at some point somebody during the course of the life of this watch must have switched some parts out because that's mm. why it's not working properly um but even within the subfamily, I mean, because like, for example, the Landron 48, it was manufactured for like a like 20, 30 year period. Uh, so even within that family, the, you know, there were slight little differences. So just because you've got uh, uh, one Landron, two Landron 48 standing, you know, sitting next to each other, at least where the chrono is concerned, not all parts are, will, will, will work will work uh, with each other. So, uh, at least for myself, with with the ones that I work with, um, uh, I, I met an old uh, watchsmith, um, a friend of Shane's, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, you know basically he's 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 retired and he's he's not really working on watches the way he used to. Mm-hmm. So he had a couple of boxes of just just lander on parts that that i uh, that i bought from him so um it's when i'm rebuilding a movement uh it's it's a lot of sort of like okay well let me let me try this let me try this sliding gear okay no this isn't quite working so it, it can be pretty time intensive sometimes um if 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 the movement was messed with at some point in the past and uh and it's got the wrong parts inside right mm. yeah That's very cool it's kind of neat to see like the uh the generational passing yeah. on of all these parts as well too. Cause I mean, obviously yeah. there's a finite number of uh, these parts that are out there now, especially because they're no longer in, in production. Um, yeah. Is that something you're finding working oh, yeah. with vintage pieces that it's starting to become yeah. more challenging is the sourcing oh, yeah. of parts and materials? Absolutely. Specific materials as well. Like, I mean, like I would say, uh, most landron parts you can find there there are tons of them out like i mean these 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 movements are made in the millions so there's mm. there there's a lot out there but uh the things that were prone to failure or easily get lost i mean for their return springs for example uh in landrons that they're hard to find right because and i know why they lost is because like when i first started working on my first movement you start unscrewing a screw and the spring goes flying you know mm. what i mean so you learn that the first time uh, if you don't find that spring, but I, I, how many times, how many people in the past would have lost uh, these springs? So um, with the Landrons, uh, things that will, are, are becoming hard to find are, are a lot of these return springs are hard to find uh, and hairsprings. 
you can find a lot of balance staffs for, for Landerons, but like uh, Hairsprings are, uh, I know, for example, there's a, a, a watch supplier, watch part supplier in Toronto named Perrins. Uh, and so they're, they're great. They, they, and they have a, a great amount of stock of, of vintage watch parts for, for watchsmiths. And uh, so I, I got this beautiful old Landron that I was working on. And I, when I, when I got it, I, I could see that the, the balance staff was broken and the, the hairspring was a mess. So I, I called them and, uh, and ordered a replacement and they said, you know what, this is it. We're sending you this piece here and don't call us again for a, a Landron hairspring because you just bought the last one we have, you know? Uh, so it's, uh, you know, eventually, you know, with, with these things that are no longer production. Yeah. You're, you're, there, there will be parts that will run out. Like they'll no longer be supply of them. You know, do you anticipate, I guess, as we reach this point where vintage pieces no longer have parts available for them, there's going to be an uptake in, I guess, third-party manufacturers going to start making that are going to start making parts for these watches. Or do you think these are kind of just going to become, you know, paperweights basically, and that's going to be it. And people just move on to the next generation of timepieces. Uh, I would probably think more of the latter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I can say um, it's the materials used in these movements uh, in terms of like the steel used and, and, and the, and the integrity of the wheels uh, you know, like when I take them apart, like I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the wheels and I'll look at the, you know, look at them with the loop and see like, you know, how, you know, if there's any wear, if they're bent or anything like that. Uh, and I, you know, I've got to say, like, I mean, it's, it's very rare that I find um, unless the watch is really comes to me in really, really bad shape. Um, usually the wheels are in pretty good shape so mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, it's theoretically if, if if these 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 watches are well maintained and you know and they're serviced in their proper intervals um they could they could last for a very long time like i mean uh i've i've had you know landron movements come to me that uh you know quite clearly were never serviced, you know, and, mm. and, and you wind them up and, and they're, and they're, and they're running pretty, pretty well for, you know, a 70 year old watch, you know, mm. like even for example, like the, the one my dad brought home, like his, his dad's watch. I mean, the, 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 the dial was in tatters, uh, but he, you know, he, he turned that crown, wound it up and like, and you could see the little hand moving, like it was, mm. it was still going. So like from that perspective, uh, like the, the idea of where, um, I, I'd say is, is probably more of an issue with things that were manufactured in the past 20 years, I'd say, because I, I, I can say like, you know, with like, you know, the EDA 2824s, like you, you'll, you'll see a lot more wear uh, on, on the wheels on those than you will with like, you know, these old Landrons or even like the old Unitas 64, 98s or 97s. Um, part of it too is the fact that these are lower beat um they're lower beat um movements right so mm. you know so you, that that because it's a lower beat there's less wear happening right so like you you figure like with a high higher beat movement a lot faster turning like it's it's it, the, the likelihood of, of wear happening uh is going to be greater right with something like you, you mentioned in uh, unitas or like again something like a 992 be like a pocket watch movement for example or into bigger pocket watch or into bigger watch movements like something that you would find at a panerai uh, like their eight day hand wound movements or something um yeah. where is where less of an issue the larger the movement is as well i would imagine so mm-hmm. i would imagine so like uh uh 
I think I think it's 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 a question of of you know like the size of the steel and and mm. uh, and and just what you know like how the movement itself is operating. Like mm. again, like if it's if it's something that's mo- moving at a lower beat, then it's it, there's less there's less sort of back and forth friction happening. So like theoretically, I, I would imagine like like bigger is probably better in terms of where longevity is concerned or mm. or wear is concerned. Yeah. And is that yeah. so? I know like the the watch fam and the watch community has always been kind of divided on like when to get your watch serviced, right? So obviously you meant you touched on regular service intervals, um, which we are seeing now in modern watches that service interval time increase, but how important are the regular service intervals of like every three to five years? I think it's, I think it's every three is typically uh, recommended or every, every year and a half to three for vintage um, versus the, the other camp, which is, oh, just wear it until something goes wrong and then take it in. Yeah. You know what? I've done, a, I've done a lot of reading about this topic and like it's, 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 and it's always going to be a debate. Mm. Um, and I've, I've seen for, I've seen, for example, like, you know, when I've been at Shane's uh, shop uh, and, and, you know, you know, I've seen him turn people away, like saying like, okay, I've had this watch for five years. Can you service it for me? And like Shane will take a look at it and he'll be, no, no, you don't need to service it. Yet. It's running fine. Keep it. Don't mm. worry. Save your money. Right. Um, and but then you know, I've seen the complete opposite where, you know, like I, I've you know, re- read um, uh, blog posts from from well-respected watchsmiths, like professional watchsmiths who, who make very, very um, uh, persuasive arguments saying, no, 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 you, you've got it. You've got to service your watch within that interval. Uh, one thing that I read that was really interesting is that uh, in terms of the greases that were used back in the day Mm -hmm. uh, to the greases that are used today. Like, I mean, uh, older watches uh, uh, used fat almost like it was like animal grease, uh, some, uh, some of them. And and now like we've gone into synthetic. So one watchsmith, I was reading an article exactly about this, this, this debate. Uh, The argument he was making was basically saying an old watch, uh, because of the the way older greases would break down over time it almost helped save the movement because what would happen is the grease would sort of harden Mm -hmm. and and the movement would sort of slow down and then it would just stop working because the grease was hardened but that process sort of spared the movement from uh, any uh, any wear because it, it it didn't it wasn't running dry it just slowed down because it gucked up. Whereas he's he was saying uh, more modern watches uh, with the synthetic oils that 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 the watchsmiths use now, uh, the grease evaporates. Mm. Right, so so it, 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 there's there's a bit more danger with modern watches about uh, wear, and that you should be very respectful of your service service intervals, because uh, your watch the, the the grease can be dried up, and it and and it could still keep great time. So you might be wearing a dry watch that you have no idea is not running properly, but is actually being damaged because because the pivots are dry and uh, and it's 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 not being serviced. So it's you know it's um. I, I see both sides of the argument. Um, I mean, for, for me, like I, I, I you know, when, when I when I check a movement, I check to see what the amplitude is like. If it's if it's you know, I, I check the timing in, in the different positions. If it's behaving well and it's got decent amplitude, uh, I, I figure I figure leave it alone. But I mean, it, you know, it's it's sort of 
how long you want this thing to last? Like, are you, like you, you have the people, you know, you, you see the people, for example, on the roads, like with, with, uh, you know, a beautifully maintained car from the sixties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like they were the guys who were, you know, really, uh, tight about making sure that they followed the service intervals and, 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 and stringent about that. So like, I, I think there's something to be said about following the, the recommended service intervals. Can it be catastrophic or not? I don't know. Like, I mean, I think some, some people are, are more dramatic about it than others and some people are more laissez-faire about it than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't know enough to give you a definitive opinion on, on service intervals. But I, I think if you want to play it on the safe side, then follow the, the manufacturer recommended service intervals for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And yeah. you, you touched on a couple of things that you, I guess that you look for when you are testing a watch or when you're servicing a watch to see how it's running before and, and after. Can you kind of explain things like amplitude, beat error, um, and then also your process for like, so you fix a watch for somebody or you've uh, put together one of your Renovo watches. What's your testing process like? Uh, so, I mean, with, uh, it depends on, on the type of watch that I'm making. Like if, if I'm doing a, a typical three-hander, I, I feel pretty confident um, uh, once I've, once I've, you know, uh, disassembled it, washed it, uh, oiled it, cleaned it and all that and, uh, and put it all back together. Uh, you know, I'll, I, I've got a time graphing, a time grapher machine, so I will put it on the machine. Um, you know, so I will check the amplitude for that specific movement at the, at the proper lift angle for that movement. There's some, and there's some great online resources. Some people took the time to actually like put lists together of all the different calibers of, uh, of movements and say, like, if you're going to test this movement, you got to check that, check it at this lift angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with with a three hand movement, I'll put it on the time grapher. Uh, I'll check the amplitude. Like typically, you, I want to see an amplitude of over two hundred eighty degrees. It's, so the amplitude, what it's basically do, it's amplitude is telling you the what the machine is picking up in terms of the strength of the swing of the balance of the movement. Right. Okay. So if it's got a nice, if it's got a high amplitude, that means things are are, are running freely and 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 the movement is 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 running strong. So mm-hmm. that's where the amplitude, again, like I'm, I'm sure there are people who know the technical, technical for this stuff, they, their ears might be, you know, burning, hearing me say, put it in these terms. But like in, in layman's terms, that's, that's basically the amplitude is telling you the, the health of the swing of the balance. Okay. Uh, and then the beat error is basically is telling you in milliseconds, just, just, you know, in that, in that swing, uh, is there any, any, any error being picked up? And I, I, I don't know if I can describe it to you any better than that, but the idea is you want to try to get that number. It, it'll measure your beat error like in decimals or, I mean, at least if it's run, running properly, but you want to get something in a beat error that's under the range of at least 1.0 where, where, the, where the readings are concerned. And then the timing is, uh, is, is what's your plus and minus uh, per seconds per day. Like, so the time grapher will tell you like over the course of the day, this watch will, will gain six seconds or lose six seconds. Um, and so to, to get a good idea of how a watch is keeping time in, in, in the real world, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll put it face, you know, on the machine and it'll be face up. Then this way, like basically turn it to its side, then turn it upside down, turn it the other side, and then I'll flip it the other way. So it's five positions that you can sort of move the, the, the holder of the watch on, on, the, on the time graphing machine. And, and I'll, I'll note at each position what 
what kind of time it's keeping, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you average out the five times and that'll give you a good idea that this watch is keeping X amount of seconds per day. Uh, so with, with a, a three hand movement, I'll, I'll do that. And if I'm satisfied with, with that, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to ship a watch out to a, a customer. With my chronographs instead, uh, because they're chronographs and because they're vintage and because, you know, they, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of tolerances and screws and eccentrics on, on the chronograph to sort of get it operating properly. I typically, once I've built a watch for somebody, um, I'll want to hold on to it for, for a week or two. Uh, and sometimes I'll just wear it on my right wrist or just sometimes I'll just leave it on the machine all day, but I'll want to like, sort of like basically put it through its paces, uh, wind it, set, start the chronograph, let it run for a couple hours, stop it, reset it, you know, and just, just kind of like fiddle with it uh, over the course of like a, a good one week two week period just to satisfy myself that this watch is running nicely it's keeping good time and that the the chrono reset is is landing properly every single time mm -hmm. yeah and so what about like adjusting a watch for variations in temperature because i know that i've seen that before um in, in older pieces i i don't know if that's something they even still have to do anymore but what was the reason for having to adjust watches for temperature and i guess is that something that is even still considered anymore with modern pieces you know what i i would imagine um i i would imagine like if it's a, if it's a question of uh certification for a particular use right mm -hmm. Um, uh, where where a, a movement will put be put through uh, different uh, tests where that's concerned. Uh, so I know, for example, I mean there's there's uh, there's the chronometer test, right? Like mm -hmm. so the COSC certification. That's one set of tests. There's another there's another set of certification tests that you can put through with. with these are independent organizations that basically get the movements uh, or the watches from from the manufacturer and they'll right. and they'll run these tests on them. And that's for certification for for particular use um you know in terms of like you know sending your 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 watch to a watchsmith uh and ask him to you know check it for temperature like i i'm, I'm not sure like how many people out there uh have that capacity mm -hmm. uh yeah so I, I really can't comment on that okay yeah. interesting all right yeah. and so just one last uh topic i wanted to cover with regards to lander on and then i want yes. to move into you as a collector yeah um what are some notable pieces that have had these Landeron movements in them over the years or things that uh, vintage collectors should be looking at or looking for that are some, uh, I guess, noteworthy pieces to pick up? Okay. Uh, one that I, I'm a big fan of uh, is uh, the uh, the Croton. Uh, uh, I think it's called the Aviation Master. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really nice, really nice uh, chronograph uh, that's, that's Landeron based. Uh, another one is one that's part of my collection. I have uh, I have a Baylor uh, Datto uh, chronograph. It's a reverse panda. I was actually I was wearing it yesterday. Do I have it here? I'll show, I'll put it up on the screen, but it's uh, this guy over here. So okay, yeah. These these are every time I post this on Instagram, I get a lot of people sort of hey, I love that one. So this is basically um, this is a Hoyer Camaro case, but yes. it's got a it's got a lander on uh, movement inside of it. Um, so this is another one that's uh, uh, Landron based that, that that's that's quite popular with with collectors. Um, I find that the uh, Nicolet watches, like the Charles Nicolet watches, are um, and uh, and also they're uh, like just like the generic chronograph Swiss watches. There's some beautiful uh, 
salmon dial vintage chronographs out there uh, that I find collectors tend to really appreciate. One thing that's nice about with 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 the Landron based is that you can it's sort of it's it's um it's it's not as 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 fraught with um, with worry as with some other uh, uh, watch brands in terms of originality because like a lot of like a lot of these uh, makers it, they all had like sort of commonly sourced parts commonly sourced hands so it's it's a type of chronograph you can sort of buy not really worry about you know like you know like we're, we're you know are, are these original pushers or you know is this, are these the original hands because they're like they were just sort of mass produced there were like a lot of sub brands had them so like you can sort of buy it without having to worry about um uh you know like is it 100 percent period correct the way for example like if you're buying a speedmaster a vintage speedmaster you know you're in Inspecting the pushers, you know, you're, you're you're looking at the the bezel, you're looking at the dial. You you want to make sure everything's period correct. So that's that's one thing with with the Landrons, uh, with some exceptions, of course. That <clears throat> yeah, you don't have that um, those sort of like those iconic models that uh, that you, you want to make sure everything is like like right on, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you you touched on like with your Baylor there that has a hewer camaro style case but then it has the lamania movements in it so how does that work with like old watches and in particular old chronographs um like would the same case maker that made that baylor case have then also made the same case for hewer and then just given it out to multiple manufacturers or how does that work from from what i read like i like i, I was turned on to the baylor uh, in particular because uh analog shift actually had a really nice one uh very similar to mine for sale a couple of years ago mm -hmm. uh so and they're right up for their sales ad for that one. They were they were basically talking about that. Uh, now, there uh, clearly some sort of modification would have had to have been done because the pusher location of the Landron is slightly different from that of the Valjou. Uh, so, uh, but it's it, it, from from what I read, it was the same case maker, and he just they basically just made you know a, a movement that was that was that would work with the with a Valjou movement, and then one that would work with a Landron movement. Uh, but again, like, I mean, the, the, the sort of the, the cross pollination mm -hmm. that you'll find, um, uh, with, with cases from that era, uh, you know, it, it's for me, I, I love it. Like, I mean, I, I find it, I find it like endlessly fan fascinating. Like for example, I was, uh, I have like this Bulova, which is, uh, the, uh, devil diver chronograph. This has got mm -hmm. a Valjou 7733 movement in it. Mm -hmm. And I just picked up this young guns Olympic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, quite clearly you can see like these these are identical cases uh identical bezels like it, it, this was the same case manufacturer would have made these and then the different brands would have uh would have purchased however many and made their own branding on on the watch right okay very yeah. cool and you, you just don't see that as much anymore now right i mean obviously you get certain yeah. um certain cross-pollination yeah. with like Seiko and the NH35, or you still have yeah. like Salidas and, and the SW200 uh, and things like that that are, are getting out into all the uh, micro brands and some of the larger brands that are still using third-party movements. But you don't really see it so much with the cases anymore. You don't really see yeah. the sharing of like dials and parts to the same extent as you used to back then. Yeah. So it's, and yeah. I guess back then it was just, like, what do you think? And this is just conjecture. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I if know, you know this. Do, you, do you think that uh, that this had something to do particularly with like post-war manufacturing and people had to just within Switzerland and within Europe and they just had to like, hey, man, I need like these cases. Okay, I need these movements and people like the industry kind of had to come together and share to make these 
pieces because people were just struggling to keep up and to create and innovate in this in the industry during that time period following world war ii or i you know what i think that i think that's part of it i think there's also like there was that that thing of uh back in the day of you know where where trades were passed down through 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 different families right so it was like you had like these people were special and doing this thing you know what mm-hmm. i mean uh and so so you had brands so you had people who were you know like saying okay you know like i want to build this watch and i'll get a case from him and i'll get this dial maker so it was like it was it, it was just the way the industry itself was set up that you had sort of specialists in, in particular areas mm-hmm. of particular components of a watch right so you had you had your dial makers you had your case makers uh and then and then you had your brands and you had the people who were who would basically you know uh uh, like for example, even like you had, it, it, I guess they were absorbed by Rolex at some point. During his, he had Gay Frere at one point. They were they were known as like the premier uh, bracelet maker, and they've made these beautiful gray uh, bracelets. So that that nowadays, I mean, like the, to find a, a Gay Frere beads of rice. Uh, you know, like you're looking up upwards of four thousand, five thousand dollars US for a bracelet because of uh, because of their their, their scarcity. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's sort of an offshoot of that, more so like that. Just basically, you had um, the, the, sort of the, the com- these componentry sort of industries that existed, uh, and then everybody sort of like in that milieu, especially of, of Swiss watchmaking, uh, people were just just buying things off of each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then you started to see, obviously, brands did you know, would collaborate and work together. Like one that I've always thought was super fascinating was like the work between Doxa and Rolex to develop the helium yep. escape valve, right? So yep. even even established companies would then come yep. together to cre- innovate and create new technology as well, right? Yeah, or just- even like you, you have the Panerai, for example, like with uh, their, mm. the, their, their, early, uh, uh, their early divers. I mean, like they, they Panerai was, was, was making the case and they were getting their movements from Rolex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the crown system from, from Rolex. Right with the like, like it was, you know, they they were it it just you had these innovators that were were pushing these technologies ahead, mm-hmm. and people were just sort of feeding off of each other, right? I guess like uh, that was yeah. something I kind of found out too was like later on, Rolex didn't really want to be associated with with Panerai anymore because of obviously Italy's stance during the early parts of World War II. So they were they was either either they stopped supplying them or they stopped putting their um brands on it they, yeah. they, they weren't they weren't branding their movements anymore because yeah. they didn't want to be seen as uh supplying the axis regardless yeah. of whether, whether or not they <laughs> yeah. were they didn't want yeah. their name on it so yeah in- interesting yeah. interesting piece of history for those history nerds that are in in true swiss <laughs> neutral fashion right? yes exactly yeah. there we go. we'll still sell them to you but we won't put our name <laughs> exactly. on them. <laughs> we'll, we'll take everyone, it on the dl we'll take everyone's money yeah exactly uh, hilarious Got it. Um, okay, so moving into you as a collector now, and we've kind of yes. touched on a couple of pieces that you have, but what is your philosophy with collecting? What, uh, what I guess, makes you tick, no pun intended, when it comes <laughs> to, pun was actually intended, but <laughs> what, uh, what, what interests you and what do you look for when you're purchasing a piece and, and what are sort of your do's and don'ts when it comes to collecting? It's really evolved, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, and I think it's still evolving. I, I, I still, uh, I, you know, as, as much as my, my, my focus has been on, uh, on chronographs lately, I mean, I, you know, I, I first started off, you know, liking the big watches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so that hence the, like the Panerai homages and stuff like that. And then, um, it, you know, I, 
realize, I mean, these, 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 these watches are not very comfortable to wear. Like you always feel them present on the wrist. And I, I started getting into uh, smaller sized watches. Um, you know, like uh, my collecting philosophy is, is it's, if you can call it a philosophy is just things that sort of sing to me, like, and, mm -hmm. and I, I really don't, um, I really can't quantify what it is that, that, that sort of gets a reaction out of me, but like when it happens, it just happens. And, and, and uh, I find myself just sort of like researching that thing and, and, and reading more about it and just and, and looking into it um i know that uh, as as time has gone by um you know the idea of how it will fit on my wrist has become really important so like you know like the lug to lug of a, of a watch has become important to me the, the 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 height of a watch is important to me uh but then you know there's something could come out that, that totally you know throws all your rules out the window just because a, a watch sings to you i mean one example for example like what one of my prized possessions of my collection is that you know is, is my doxa i mean this is the the 50th anniversary 300t Beautiful. um you know i love it love it you know it's 42 millimeter watch it's a tall watch mm -hmm. uh but I put it on and, uh, and it feels fantastic. It's super comfortable. Uh, so like that's, you know, you can, you can trust the numbers up to a certain point, but then there's just that, that, so that, um, you know, ineffable sort of, uh, undescribable feeling of, of what something feels like when, when you put it on the wrist and, and it's sort of that process of, uh, buying something living with 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 it for a little while and uh and and sort of with time going by like does that does that watch still mm -hmm. sing to you um you know i i do always in the back of my mind when i'm when i'm buying something i, I try to think about well if i don't um bond with this watch you know what what does getting rid of it look like you know what I mean? So like, I, I, I try to be smart in terms of the decision-making process of, 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 you know, not necessarily getting a good deal on, on the buy, but just buying something, knowing that if I, if I do have to flip it at, at worst, I'm not losing a ton of money on it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I've, I've been lucky in some respects. I mean, I think in terms of like my Speedmaster, for example, if you want me to Oh, we, all, always, we all we all want we all want to see shows, yeah <laughs> so this is this is uh this is basically the last iteration of uh what they would call like the pre-moon uh speedmaster so this wow. this oh, i don't want to come out so this one here it's got the dot over 90 bezel it's got the step dial uh and the case backs are pre sort of uh first you know, uh, Speedmaster on the moon, like uh, what they added on. So this this has the uh, the eight six one movement. So this mm -hmm. is when they transitioned. Uh, it's basically the second model after they transitioned from the three twenty one yeah. uh, column wheel to the uh, Lamania eight six one cam operated chronograph. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, it's it's got the flat like brace bracelet. It's got the the five one six ends. And I picked this up about three years ago. Um, and, and I was on the fence cause I had a Speedmaster already. I had a modern Speedmaster and, and I, I loved it, but the white of the loom, I, I, I just, it just, I, I would see a vintage pieces with the tritium. I would see that creamy yellow. And I was like, I, I need a Speedmaster with tritium. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I came across this one and, uh, you know, sharing it with friends of mine who were all 
awful enablers, uh, you know, basically said, you, you got to do it. You got to do it because like these, these watches, they're just going to keep climbing in price. Yeah. Grab it now. And, I, and I'm glad I did because like now I see this particular reference um, is, is it's getting quite honestly stupid money now. Right. Um, uh, so I, I feel lucky in that regard. So that sort of um, that's one of my lucky pickups. But then there's there's been other watches that um, I've been surprised. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've picked up not quite bonded with mm-hmm. uh, put them back and and actually sold for more than I purchased for them. It's 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 a crapshoot. And, and I don't really like to be at least where my personal collection is concerned. Uh, I'm not motivated by profit. I'm just motivated by like if I don't bond, I don't want to lose too much on it. Mm-hmm. Trying to be responsible. That makes sense. That's it's an irresponsible hobby. Well, I mean, I think, I think you touched on uh, you touched on the enablers, right? I think uh, being part of the watch fam is uh, it's a double edged sword, right? I mean, yep. it's it's amazing the opportunities, the people you meet, how much fun it is, how cool people are. But yeah, yeah no one's ever going to tell you not to buy a watch. So, yeah. I know, I know, it, it's not yeah. easy on the wallet. Yeah. That's for sure, and I won't tell you either, right? Like, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, with yeah. your Speedy, there, I know you said you had kind of a unique story with it because I know you, that that is the original Flatlink bracelet, correct? Yes, yeah. All so this was, yeah. yeah. So this was, uh, it was actually I found it on Chrono Twenty Four, uh, a watch dealer in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, and so this is, uh, I, yeah, 2018, if I'm not mistaken, um, there was, it was around the time where, uh, Warren and Wound was going to be having their wind up watch fair okay. in New York city. And I have a, a really dear friend who lives in New York and I, I, I try to visit. Uh, at least once a year. Uh, so I knew wind up was happening. I knew I wanted to go down and visit uh, my buddy Pete in New York. Uh, and, um, and I, and I saw this, this, uh, this, this pre-moon for sale, so I contacted the seller and, uh, and basically everything checked out. He sent me a lot of pictures of the watch. I had a bunch of questions for him, but you know, it had the original crystal, you know, had the Omega symbol. Uh, the only thing it was missing was uh, one of the end links was a generic end link. So I had the, had the proper 1039 bracelet, but one of the end links was generic end link. And that wasn't a deal breaker to me. So knowing that I'd be going to New York, I figured I'll just, buy it from the guy in LA, have him ship it out to my friend Pete and I'll pick it up from him. Mm. So I uh, went down to visit my friend and uh, picked up the watch from, from him and very happy with it. And uh, the end link was bothering me. It's, I could see the difference of the fit of like the proper stock 516 end link. And, um, and so in the meantime, so we were sort of talking and uh, my friend Pete, who uh, had just purchased um uh, Hoyer Altavia from uh, the guys over at Analog Shift. I uh, said, you know, do you want to meet them? Do you want to you want to go check out their shop? It's like it's like Candyland for for vintage watches. They have an incredible collection of uh, vintage pieces. I said, hey, yeah, if, if you'd be willing to meet up with us, uh, I'd love to. So we actually um, we met James Lambden, and uh, he you know he brought us into a shop and uh, showed us uh, his wonderful 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 pieces. And so we got to talking, and I showed him off my my, my newest acquisition. I was mentioning to him, I was like, ah, you know what? I I, 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 I gotta have I gotta have to find an end link for you know just just to complete the this this watch uh and turns out he actually had one uh so we worked out a good price and uh and so i walked away with uh, a fully complete uh 516 and like 1039 bracelet uh, pre-moon speedy yeah that is so yeah. cool man james is a great dude and he's a good friend yeah. of the show and uh, he'll actually be on the show on march 11th so oh he'll fantastic be, he'll be coming on fantastic. a little bit about what he does over at analog yeah. shift as well and, and yeah. yeah that's a incredible incredible story cool opportunity 
really yeah. need to be able to go visit the analog shift store as well. Right. Yeah. And, and have that kind of, like, did you go in there expecting to be able to find that end link or. You know what? I went in there. I went under thinking that there might be a possibility he might have one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I just had this feeling that, you know, like, you know, here, here's a, uh, you know, you know, one of the premier vintage watch dealers in the U S I mean, you know, probably the, what are the chances? I mean, he, he might actually have one. And, um, but I wasn't expecting it. I just, just had like this feeling like it just, it just felt like there was like a kismet to the whole thing. There was a kismet to me finding this particular speedy, getting it, having it shipped to Pete and then just having it coincide with the fact that I was visiting him anyway. So I just sort of had this uh, sense that everything was just going to line up properly. And, and it just did. That's yeah, very, that's wonderful. And again, incredible yeah. story that to carry already with an incredible watch. Now it has that story for you associated with it. Definitely. Yeah. So what I'm, I'm, I'm forbidden from ever selling this watch. Like wow, my friend, wow. my friend Pete has told me, he's like, you're never selling that speedy. This is, there's too much history behind it now. No, absolutely. <laughs> never. Why yeah. would you want to anyways? That that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. That's yeah. terrific. So what else is in the collection? So I've got uh, I'm I'm uh, with the with the whole Bulova theme, uh, I you know I, I've gotten into the Bulovas and I, I really enjoy the history of Bulova. I think they've got a really interesting history because they kind of kind of tra tra transitioned from being like an exclusively American watchmaker mm -hmm. uh, watch brand to a, a Swiss watch brand, and now currently I mean now it's uh, I believe it's um, they use Miyota. I believe I believe it's I'm not sure if it's Japanese owned or, or, or Chinese owned, but like uh it, it's 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 sort of it's asia based now uh but i particularly like the uh, the late 60s period the same era as as my wrist alarm uh and their dive watches so like uh you know this is one piece that i mm -hmm. it's my uh oceanographer mm -hmm. uh so this is one piece that i i really really like that it's the, the devil diver piece and uh another one in that same sort of line this is uh, another variation of their devil divers Oh, this wow. is not actually an original bezel. This uh, I <laughs> I bought this watch and uh, somehow managed to lose the original bezel, and uh, I managed to find another watch from a different maker. Again, that cross pollination that we were talking about uh, with different case makers, uh, and I was so I was able to transplant uh, from uh, a different uh, watch to to my Bulova. And is so this like is another piece. Is it like a slate dial or what what kind of dial is it's that like happening? a it's it's like a blue sunburst dial okay so it's a metallic -y kind of finish to it yeah beautiful yeah that's very yeah. very cool i haven't seen one of those before and so would the would the original bezel have been in that colorway though or no the original bezel was it was a pepsi bezel actually okay. really nice a nice bake light bezel i was i was absolutely i took my daughter shopping downtown we're walking through the Eaton Center in Toronto. Uh, she had to buy some some clothes, and uh, we spent the whole, the whole fun day sort of doing. This is a period in Toronto when uh, things had opened up a little bit with mm -hmm. uh, with the lockdowns, and so so we were just uh, enjoying the fact that we were actually shopping in stores like back when the world was normal. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we you know we 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 bought some things and uh, headed back to the car, got in the car, and I looked at my watch and uh, just to check the time, and I was like that something's missing here and uh i realized the bezel must have fallen off at some point while, while we were walking i think maybe the shopping bag might have caught the bezel and popped oh. it off or something it was just i was absolutely gutted of course yeah oh that's like yeah. one of the worst feelings for any watch any watch nerd to like look down and find your watch <laughs> missing oh i had a um yeah i had a old uh king seiko i had it um 
had it ended up having it restored by Ashton Tracy, who's out in your neck of the woods there. Yes. He's um, in Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, he's, he's in Ottawa. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I had taken this King Seiko off and I ended up just set it down on, uh, on my nightstand one day. And I don't know if it was just like one of those, like one in a million perfect angle, perfect amount of force at the perfect time or what happened. And the actual crystal retaining ring popped right off and i was like oh and i tried to get it on and i have some like amateur tools and i have a a press and all that to try and i couldn't get it on no matter how hard i tried so eventually it kind of got thrown away into the uh into like just my my parts kind of junk drawer type thing and one day one day i found it i'm like "Ah, i forgot about this thing and my dad was always a big fan of uh, king seiko having grown up sort of in that era uh when when they were still prevalent and around so I uh, got it restored by Ashton there and uh, gave it to him as a Father's Day gift. And somehow nice. we got somehow we got that ring back on. It nice. <laughs> never had a problem with it again. Nice. So yeah. it's uh, sometimes those things just happen, but when they do, they just suck. Oh, it's terrible. You have to you have to marvel at the knowledge of like these really like I mean the professional watchmakers like in terms of like how they know the intricacies of how things get put back together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just like I tip my hat. It's just it's I have so much respect for 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 these guys like. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 just the the breadth of their knowledge and just even mm-hmm. the movements it just it, it's amazing it's amazing sure. it's great that you they were able to get that fixed oh absolutely I'm sure your dad must have loved it oh he loves it he's one of those cool yeah. he's uh he he's just starting to get into the watch kind of collecting thing now so he's yeah. got, like, got some nice stuff some nice seamaster he really likes the old uh bolivas and accutrons as well nice. and um and then he has uh now he has that that king seiko as well which he, he very really, nice and he's, he's got a turtle oh, like got a, a turtle and a couple other things as well too oh the sun's yeah. just getting right on the you sun there. is just like right in my face <laughs> sorry about that that's uh, okay no worries yeah. what uh so what else do you have over there with you let's see let's see let's see what else can i show you what else can i show you well yeah well speaking of landrons this this is one that i actually just finished putting uh putting back together i posted on instagram a couple of days ago and i just i i love it i mean i was i was planning on selling and i'm i'm kind of still debating whether i want to keep it so this that. is a, a Charles Nicolet uh landron mm-hmm. and uh what i love about it is is the the gilt details on the dial mm-hmm. just just beautiful and another thing that i really dig about it as well is that um most landrons have a 30 minute counting sub register this one's got a 45 minute uh counting sub register which is uh yeah you, you you don't see too many of them they're out there and uh, what it was one thing that uh you can pretty much count on when you when you see a, a charles nicolay chronograph uh, from that era that that was something that they almost exclusively did with their chronograph so they always had a 45 minute uh, sub counter register mm-hmm. so just so you know it's like a little soccer timer right so mm-hmm. you can uh, keep track of your 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 half of soccer okay and then yeah. the and the lugs on that as well too look like they're a little bit more oh ornate. yeah yeah very ornate so it's got the fancy lugs that they're mm-hmm. you know they're, they're drilled lugs as well mm. yeah it's a really pretty piece and this is a Definitely. case um when i got it, it was in pretty pretty rough shape and uh so i sent it out there's a company in montreal i think we were talking about that uh a company in montreal called replate it uh and they will uh with base metal uh, cases, they'll they'll do replating on them. So this was originally a uh, gold plated case. Uh, so what I did is I just as a as a sort of memento of what it used to be. I, I kept the pushers gold, but I, I sent it to uh, to uh, replate it and had them uh, replate the uh, the mid case uh, in rhodium. 
just to give it a sort of an updated look, I, you know, generally speaking, I, I like the rhodium look more than the gold plated look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they, they did a wonderful job, just came back looking brand new because they, they, they get the cases, they sand them down uh, and then they, they replate them and they, they, they come back looking pretty fantastic. Yeah, for sure. They, they, they yeah. do good work. And then I'm guessing like, do they now in a modern with modern plating, they probably do it like quite a few more microns to make it thicker or, or more uh, uh, like, is it tougher? Does it last longer than the, the previous generations of, of plating or? I, I think so. Cause I mean, I think it depends. Uh, it's, it's, he does as a standard, he does a 0.5 microns, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, which is, um, from from what I understand, uh, the standard that you'd want to have like a, a good durable plating on a watch. Mm. Um, there there was a plater in Toronto. I forget the name of the business that where he you, you know, depending on the, how many microns you wanted it would determine the price. Uh, and I remember he would say also like if you want to have like a good uh, sturdy plating, you want to do at least a minimum of 0.5 microns. Mm. Yeah. And so what was the appeal of using base metal plated cases over stainless steel or cobalt steel uh during that era when they were kind of producing I, these watches probably cost right yeah. cheaper yeah oh, okay yeah yeah so, just a question of just it was a cheaper metal and uh and cheaper production costs yeah and i suppose i like, think it's that simple and i suppose most pieces like during like the, the 50s and late 40s when a lot of these base metal pieces were being produced um people weren't really using them as like sports watches right or, yep. or or i guess they were they were potentially and then that start that kind of created the need for something that was um more uh, corrosion resistant and a tougher metal and, and things like that so moving into like obviously then you need to create pieces like the explorer and the sea masters yep. and the blanc submariners etc 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 yeah okay yep. that makes sense yep so, and then you have a couple more pieces there with you? Or? Yeah, you know what, I'm going to show off. Like, this is this is like when we talk about uh, sort of the, my, my three-handers. Uh, this is a watch that I, I built for myself for my, uh, for my wedding day. Mm. So, um, this is a, a sort of a, a Tiffany dial. So, this actually, again, it's, it's a question of, it's repurposing things. So, this actually was originally uh, a Rado watch. It actually has the Rado case back markings on, on mm-hmm. the case back. Uh, with uh, just a chewed up, destroyed dial. Uh, so I um, had, um, you know, I got this dial made, uh, got these hand, bought these hands, and uh, and I serviced the uh, the movement inside, and uh, basically repurposed this to like a Tiffany dial, you know, fluted bezel, modern quasi vintage watch. So like it's uh, it, it took something that would have you know basically either been thrown away or just not fancied uh and uh and made it some same something new so if it that's it it really that process of like not just getting you know new cases and building sort of homages but rather taking an existing watch with a vintage case and just repurposing even that case really uh, really got me excited just just getting these watches that you know you might not have looked twice at and turning them into something that you know looks really cool yeah you're breathing new life into it rather yep. than just relegating yep. it to the the garbage pile or the spare parts bin right yep. which i think is incredible to, to find use in these pieces still right yeah sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah what else can i show you so this this is actually something i i still haven't posted to instagram yet because i'm still debating I'm i'm still working on it 
and debating whether I want to uh, amend the hands at all. But I, I came across, again, the whole theme of repurposing. I came across this vintage uh, Aquaplunge chronograph case. Oh, my. Yeah. So with this one here, this is a case for a value 7733. Um, so, and uh, I... Uh, found like a really nice movement that uh, that I, again, cleaned up, restored, got it running nicely again, and uh, had this big eye style uh, custom dial That's beautiful. Uh, that I put together. Yeah. My only debate is whether I, I want to put a, a fancier looking second sweep on it or not. Hmm. But uh, again, like, I mean, here, here was this watch case, uh, like, you know, God only knows what happened to the original watch that was inside of it. Uh, but it's super cool. It's got the metal bezel. It's, it's, uh, uh, it, clearly it was uh, some sort of diver chronograph from the sixties. Um, and now it's, it's, it's got a movement inside it ticking and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Hmm. Stunning. Yeah. I love the yeah. the big arrow, the broad arrow hand on it as yeah. well. Too. Yeah. So That's this cool. this is uh again, you know, beauty of Instagram, like the broad arrow hands actually. Uh there was a seller um on eBay who basically was was selling these hands. And somebody who knew that I liked restoring these vintage chronographs said, Hey, you might be interested in these hands. So, you know, I was like, Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do love these hands. So the vintage broad arrow hands, you know, I, I had to, you know. Uh, remove the old loom because just to yeah. get everything matching and all that but i uh, mm -hmm. relumed it and it uh we turn the lights off it shines pretty nicely that's beautiful yeah incredible yeah it's so cool to have this like personal connection to all these pieces because you're working on them creating them updating them changing yeah. them yourselves right it's it's it, i think it goes beyond uh just the connection that the average collector or consumer has with their watch because you're really it's like it's like a guy who works on his own car right yeah it's you're investing uh so much more into the interactions that you have with these these pieces and and your enjoyment of them beyond just using them right yeah it's it's, it's so cool and so admirable and i think i i've learned a ton chatting <laughs> with you today man honestly and i think the audience has too and listening to you talk about these movements talk about your work with them talk about your collection and the passion you have behind it I think that's so refreshing and so cool for people to hear thank and you for, thank you learn more about and um definitely uh, where can people get a hold of you if they want to buy something from you if they want to just chat with you if they just want to see what you have available or how, how does yeah. someone get a hold of you it's uh, on instagram at uh, chicho under slash vintage c-i-c-c-i-o under slash vintage uh yeah just hit me up like i mean it's uh i uh, like to you know, I, I try not to take on too much work at a set because I, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a family, I've, I've got work and all that. Uh, but I'm always happy to hear from people. Um, and uh, you know, depending on the complexity of the of the project that uh, that people are thinking of, uh, you know, because people will ask me like, well, like, you know, is there a catalog we can pick from? And usually, what I'll tell them is, like, you know, what just check my my uh my username as a hashtag and that'll bring up different builds that i've that i've put together in the past and if you see something you like let me know and then we can sort of we can sort of work our way through there i mean I, i've i've considered um formalizing the process a bit more in terms of maybe like creating some sort of uh catalog for people to pick from but uh you know at this point i i, I wouldn't have the time to dedicate to it and mm -hmm. for me like i i kind of like the luxury of sort of picking and choosing what I'm going to work on. Like I, cause for, for me, like, for example, with this, with this Nicolet, for example, like this was something that I saw and I thought, 
wow, like uh, it would really give me great satisfaction to to get this going again and 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 make you know make it look beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's I I I kind of need that sort of. Uh, passion push for me to have that my own personal satisfaction of of wanting a specific look out of uh, out of the watch that that's gonna that's gonna result at the end of it right mm-hmm. um but again like i mean i, I I've, I've i've made some great friends uh through instagram and it's and it's been exactly that it's just basically people reaching out saying hey i love that renovo i, I love that uh i love that tiffany doll you did like you know could, could you make something for me uh, and then sort of just the, 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 the conversation progresses and I'll say like, you know, send me some refer- reference pictures of, of uh, what you have in mind and, and we take it from there. Yeah, I try to keep the process um, uh, pretty loose because I mean, for me, this, this is a hobby. I don't want to turn it into like a business, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate the relationships that, that come out of it. So uh, that's more important to me than, than sort of turning out customers. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. Yeah. You guys heard it. if you just want to have a good chat or if, if you know, you're able to get on the list for uh, projects, definitely hit up Luigi over at uh, Chichio Vintage on Instagram. Likewise, if you'd like to chat with myself, questions, comments, feedback, you can leave comments in the comment section below if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, you can send me a direct message on Instagram at Rico's Watches Podcast, or you can shoot an email if you or someone else you know, would like to be on the show to uh, Rico's watches podcast at gmail.com. Or if you're listening on one of the podcast streaming platforms, such as Spotify, uh, Apple uh, podcasts, Google podcasts, you can also find the YouTube channel at Rico's watches podcast on YouTube. Thank you very much, Luigi. It was an absolute pleasure awesome. chatting with you today, man. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. You take care. Okay. And sign you too. Yes. Thank you.